Welcome to Second Serving, a new podcast housed at Second Presbyterian Church in downtown Richmond, Virginia. I'm your host, Kelly Connolly. Second Serving is a series that invites both local and global organizations, faith leaders, community members, and more to tell their stories. Join me as I listen, grow, learn, and unpack what loving our neighbor truly looks like. Today, we welcome Dominic Barrett, Executive Director of Shalom Farms. Shalom Farms is one of our urban mission partners at Second Presbyterian, and we have so enjoyed working with them at both of their locations in Powhatan and Northside. Shalom's mission is to work with communities to ensure access to healthy food and the support to lead healthy lives. At Shalom Farms, they believe everyone should have good food, food that is good for our bodies, good for the environment, and good for our communities. However, thousands in Richmond lack access to healthy food. Many people also lack the tools and resources to cook it, eat it, and even share it. So through sustainable agriculture and hands-on experiences, Shalom Farms works with communities to ensure access to healthy food and the support to lead healthy lives. Join me in welcoming Dominic as I learn more about the mission of Shalom how they have transformed the food apartheid in the Richmond area, and how you can get involved. Welcome, Dominic. Glad you're here. Thank you, Kelly. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So I gave you a brief introduction there, but I want you to uh, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your role at Shalom, and just maybe a little bit of your you know, story of how you got into farming and working in farming. Sure. Um, so... Uh... I'm Dominic, and uh, my title is, is executive director, and then my business card says executive director slash office farmer, um, because I think there is sort of a co- common and obvious misconception um, mm. that I'm somehow a really talented farmer by leading an organization that has two farms and is uh, a farm at its core in many ways. Um, uh, but I, I, I've, I've picked up some farming knowledge and skills over the years, but very limited in the grand, um, in the grand <laughs> scheme of things. Um, which maybe I'll give some yeah, backstory to maybe help further explain that. But um, yeah, so I'm the executive director here at Shalom Farms and I've been here for about 11 years. Um, I'm from Virginia, from Lynchburg, and I was working in South Carolina before coming here for a statewide nonprofit uh, called Palmetto Project, helping coordinate their statewide programs that were focused on youth, family, and schools programming. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was doing kind of nonprofit, nonprofit poverty-related, wealth-building, community-building work, um, there and wanted to both be back in Virginia closer to uh, family and also um, was ready to sort of shift the work that I was doing. A lot of the work that I was doing at my work last organization I loved, but the parts of the work that paid the bills the most were like very strictly old-fashioned kind of Band-Aid char- charity models, this holiday program called Families Helping Families in particular, mm. um, which sort of an angel tree model, which there's obviously a, you know, a place for, but um, it kind of continually felt frustrating. Like that was the thing that got the most traction, this program that really was designed first and foremost to make kind of people doing the giving feel good and not really um, doing anything to kind of restructure how our community operated or how whether folks were going to need to be looking for the same support for gifts, you know, the next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I was sort of looking for a little more upstream systemic work 
um, as I sort of looked elsewhere. Uh, and also, so food issues and agriculture have always been sort of interests of mine and, and hunger is something I've sort of cared about and thought about for a long time, but not something I had a ton of professional you know, experience in. And so um, in theory, this job was sort of the overlap between um, my nonprofit programming background and skills skill set and um, real interest and passion for, for moving in this direction with work. Um, and luckily, as I was being considered for the job, there was also someone that was being considered for a farm manager position um, who really was um, an expert uh, in uh, farming and sustainable agriculture um, yeah. and many other things. Um, and he's still with us, Steve. He's 11 years later, our director of farm operations um, and has been one of, of, if not our biggest critical success factor over the last um, uh, 11 years. So yeah, that's how I ended up here is finding this unique intersection and helping me think more about how do we meet immediate needs with, with dignity and care while also working our way upstream um, towards broader kind of systemic issues and solutions. Yeah, absolutely. So you are more like the heart and mind of the operation and the other people are the hands and feet, right? Uh, I mean, I, I, I get that in some ways <laughs> that might be one, one simple way to do it. I also think there'd be plenty of people in our organization would point out ways in which the, the, the heart and mind lies in lots of other places. But, oh, absolutely. Um, I do. I do spend a lot of my time more as the voice of the organization, um, uh, working also with our development director on, on fundraising, obviously, as our organization has grown, keeping, keeping the funds um, uh, flowing. Um, but we're lucky to have a lot of really um, smart, uh, passionate, um, and compassionate people on the team sort of at all levels, which is really wonderful. Yeah, that's awesome. And that's very you know, interesting that you've always kind of had this passion for food security and, um, and you were able to marry those two passions together here in Richmond at Shalom. That's great. Well, I, I want to unpack, you know, Shalom's mission a little bit more with you. And uh, I'm wondering if you could just tell us a little bit about day-to-day operations. I know that always looks different, but also, you know, you have a lot of programs happening at Shalom. So uh, tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Um, I mean, I'm continually trying to find a better way of communicating about our work that isn't so like two sides of the coin. Mm-hmm. Um, and I haven't come up with a better way of that in part because we probably haven't done a good enough job of like in practice, actually merging sort of the two parts of our organization. Um, because, you know, for better or worse, we do kind of operate in that way where we have this farm operation. We have two large scale production farms that we welcome volunteers, including the wonderful folks from second. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and then we have our, sort of distribution aspect of our, sorry, our programming educational stuff that we do mostly off farm, but not entirely off farm. Um, uh, and so it's easiest often to frame things in that way. Um, even though we're continuing to look for like places in which there's overlap between those operations and where those things really, um, are married together very nicely. Um, on the farm side of things as folks, um, including, you know, uh, we welcome groups and individuals and families to, um, help us do everything but driving the tractor almost at both sites. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been the way we have always existed is really dependent on volunteers. Obviously, that's looked a little bit different with COVID and as time allows or we want to, we can dive into that. But we still depend on those volunteers to help us grow this food and to do it in a um, thoughtful way where we can um, care and steward creation. And so uh, that means for us, we're certified naturally grown, which is a very similar certification to organic um, but is a farmer certified program versus sure. sort of a multi-institutional sure. um, certification. Um, and that food, which we really focus on scale and production, you know, so 600,000 plus servings of, of, of it last year alone. 
um, gets distributed in a variety of ways. Uh, and so, again, to oversimplify things here, about half we get straight to food security partners, um, Feedmore being the largest and perhaps mm-hmm. most obvious, but also um, uh, a handful or more, depending on the year, of other really small community-based food pantry operations, feeding programs um, that are doing this really critical work and that we can get the food to in a very sort of nimble, fast way and get it to the folks who, who deserve it. Um, I need it, which is everyone. Um, uh, and then on the other half, uh, there are our, our programs. Um, and so um, in terms of programming that's really actively using our produce, we have two types, our healthy retail and our prescription. So our prescription produce plan, as we call it, um, has happened now for eight or nine years. Uh, we partner right now most closely with healthcare partners like Health Brigade mm-hmm. and um, the VCU School of Nursing has a Richmond Health and Wellness Program. And our largest partner right now on this is Bon Secours, working with their diabetes prevention and diabetes management programs. And so what we're doing is providing 10, 12, sometimes many more weeks of uh, prescription of produce for a household, usually 10 to 15 households participating at a time. And they're getting health coaching and um, health checks from our healthcare partners while we're providing weekly prescriptions of produce and providing cooking classes and food skills education and food literacy work um, to help build the support and tools to use that increased access um, to connect diet and health. Um, And then on the healthy retail side, we have a healthy corner store program where uh, 52 basically weeks a year, we're distributing produce to corner stores in the east end, north side, and south side um, in communities without easy access to, um, to healthy food. Uh, and then we have our mobile market, which is probably our most visible and largest um, uh, healthy retail program. So in an average year, about 15 weekly locations, end of May or early June through Thanksgiving, in these same communities um, that are facing these barriers, often related to you know systemic injustice and racism, mm-hmm. um, but facing the greatest barriers to accessing um, healthy food. So we're doing pop-up markets, 15 a week in the same locations, selling at highly subsidized you know prices, using our nonprofit model to you know to take a loss, if you will, on the on the produce, and then offering additional discounts, 50% off if you use um, SNAP supplemental nutrition assistance oh, okay. program yeah. um, at any of our markets. That's great. That's great. It sounds like, you know, you have a lot happening at Shalom, not only on the farm, but for the community, for the community, which is um, important considering that food, healthy food, like your mission states is sometimes hard to find here in Richmond for uh, various communities. And, um, what you know has Shalom learned about serving these areas that um, are not able to access uh, healthy food more easily? Sure, I mean I think it's it's you know unfortunately not unique to to Richmond. This is a problem we see uh, around the country and have now understood better for the last decade or more mm-hmm. longer. Um, and it's not just an, a problem of sort of dense urban communities, but we see it growing in growing ways in suburban communities and in rural communities and. And each of those settings, the, the dynamics are a little bit different. The challenges are a little bit sure. different. Um, I, mean, I think one big thing we've learned and have moved sort of with and from um, is this understanding that it's, it is partly about physical and economic access to healthy food, but it's also much more nuanced and complicated than that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think yeah. early on in this work, a decade ago, you hear lots of people talking about food deserts. Um, and obviously, we need language to help us understand concepts and communicate it. And so yeah. that makes sense. but. 
um, that that language was both stigmatizing, but also really oversimplifying to some degree the problem and basically feeling like, oh, if, if you live within a mile of a grocery store, then you're not in a food desert and then you, it's, there's no problems. There's no issue there, right? Yeah, um, I had heard that when I first moved to Richmond in 2017. I'd never heard of this term food desert. And that has that was the exact definition someone gave me. Right. And I mean, I think it's a, one of the helpful ways of mapping it. And I think a decade ago, that was a really helpful way maybe to get people thinking about this issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's still important for us to, to realize that there are thousands of people in Richmond and elsewhere that do live a significant distance, many without cars, um, from sort of a, the nearest full service grocery store. And we know that's for lots of reasons, including mm. sort of it's historical racist structures and, and, and not by accident, right? Um, if we look at redlining and urban renewal and a variety of policies that we've put in place to, you know, isolate and marginalize largely poor black communities, mm-hmm. um, uh, that has led to any number of conditions, including communities without easy access to not just grocery stores, but financial institutions and healthcare and quality education, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Um, I think it's important to recognize that like physical and economic piece, but we also know that you can live right across the street from a grocery store, but if you're still dealing with all these other poverty related barriers that that come with those same histories I just mentioned, the same factors, um, and you're constantly trying to overcome those poverty and racism related barriers and, um, you know, perhaps never having had the opportunity or support to develop a palette or interest or support or skills to build out and use that produce. There's any number of reasons why um, just being able to have a grocery store is only one part of the the puzzle. Um, That being said, it's an important part, and we do believe everybody deserves easy access to healthy food. Um, And so Mm -hmm. we, we can't ignore that that kind of physical geography is an important part. Yeah. Yeah, uh, something that I'm kind of hearing you say as we talk about this a little bit and talk about how Shalom has served various communities without access to food is this, you know, marriage between food justice, social justice, and racial justice. Like, we often right now in society kind of throw around that term justice. It's pretty trending right now, Mm -hmm. if I might say. And so, but it's a little bit overlooked that justice is often a, a multifaceted, multi-layer endeavor. And I think that that's really great that uh, you guys at Shalom are able to really tap into that. Well, we certainly try. I mean, it's interesting you say that because you're exactly right about sort of like what a buzzword, you know, justice is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> thinking about how we frame issues around social justice. Uh, and actually, I mean, I catch myself really veering away from talking about our, our work as food justice not because I don't think food justice is really critically important, but I sort of see it as aspirational, right? Mm-hmm. Because it is, because for it to be true justice, right, we have to take into all these other factors, particularly um, racial justice. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think we have a long way to go as an organization to say, like, what we are doing is in the very present current moment being a part of creating sort of more true justice and, and a sort of a broader understanding of racial justice and mm-hmm. social justice. And so I sort of see it as something to aspire to. And I, I often sort of talk about our work as, as food access work, uh, which we think is an important part of, of food justice work. Um, uh, but there are lots of other initiatives and efforts out there um, that look very different that, that are and, and do have almost a more explicit immediate connection to racial justice. And I think we're constantly mindful of that. Of like, How do we acknowledge that partner and then continue to work towards, their, towards that as, as a goal ourselves as an organization? Excellent. Well, I'm so glad that 
you shared all of that super helpful information with me. I want to go back a little bit to that term food desert. Um, Mm -hmm. One thing I learned recently was that that term isn't quite appropriate because a desert is something natural and a food desert is something quite unnatural. Like we have created that problem as humans. So what might be a more helpful word to or term to kind of throw around? Um, and what are you all at Shalom talking about in lieu of using that term food desert? That's a great question. Yeah, we could talk for a long time about probably sure, why so sure. value and um, yeah. Let's, uh, let's hear the Spark sort of, Notes version. <laughs> right, the language. I mean, I think one word, and I think you you, you all probably heard it at, when you on your visit to the farm recently is apartheid. And talk about this as a food apartheid, mm-hmm. right? As these policies and systems of segregation and um, discrimination, uh, typically on, on the grounds of race, right? Um, um, and, and really, if we look in the case of Richmond, that's exactly what we've seen happening, right? You can use any number of historical mapping tools um, to sort of look at racist policies and then match them up to the communities that we would have otherwise been calling, quote unquote, food deserts. Mm-hmm. Um, and so whatever our terminology that we choose to use, uh, I think it's important to, 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 to frame it in a way that we recognize this isn't something that just like happened and just occurs, yeah, naturally, um, or that is um, uh, our primary way of understanding a particular community that is a very dynamic community, whatever the community is that we're you know, speaking about, and that we really do find ways to speak to and emphasize mm-hmm. um, the things that have helped create this situation, and the, as a result, the things and intentionality that will take to undo it beyond just like, oh, let's put a grocery store back here because for some reason there wasn't a grocery store here. Yeah, or like a convenience mart where no one can you know, buy healthy food. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Well, thank you for explaining that. Um, And so you guys are kind of finding a way for Shalom to have a presence in those food apartheids. Right. And so I know that one of those um, programs includes the fridge project um, where there's uh, a, a fridge going in a maybe convenience store or a market that has a place to, kind of how's your produce. Uh, could you speak a little bit to that program briefly? Yeah. So that's probably one of our two uh, healthy retail programs. Yeah. Our corner store initiative where what we've done, it was started with us in partnership with the Richmond city health district uh, five or so years ago. Now um, is when they approached us about this work. And at its core, what we've done is yeah, work with convenience stores and corner Mm -hmm. stores and bodegas to Mm -hmm. provide them a free fridge to, if they keep the fridge in the front half of the store, and only stock it with healthy food, which we offer to distribute to yeah. them weekly, both our produce and other items that maybe we can't grow um, ourselves um, into these stores, provide a little technical assistance occasionally, you know, in-store demos and marketing, but basically saying, hey, there are places in these communities already that are offering calories, um, just not often high quality, affordable, healthy calories. Um, mm. And so how can we uh, be a small part of kind of to transform that landscape a little bit? Oh, awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that. I also really like that the requirements are to keep the fridge at the front half of the store. I think that that's really important that healthy food is visible, it's accessible, and, um, you know, it can, it can be kind of that first thing people see when they enter the store and one of the last things they see before they check out. So that's really helpful, I think. 
And yeah, the corner store environment is is crazy, right? Like, and so all the yeah. sort of like aspects of choice architecture that have gone into like incentivizing certain decisions in there um, is really fascinating to me to sort of think about. And and so how can we do what mm-hmm. Frito Lay and Dorito and you know cigarette companies are all trying to do, uh, but do it with healthy food, which is incentivize. Uh, people towards those options and give them the best opportunity to, to yeah. make that choice. Yeah. I'm like having a flashback to when I would like be at the grocery store with my mom and we would see like the Kit Kat bars and the Reese's cups as we're checking out. And Oh man, how I longed for those, but I wanted it cause it was there. Right. I mean, I kind of like chocolate who doesn't, but I also wanted so, it cause it was there and available. There's, we could talk forever about that, right? About sort of pester power, which is yeah. like something that we can measure, which is exactly what you just described. And then how stores put certain you know items and brands at ch- children's levels so that they will then like spark the pester power to then incentivize the parent to make the purchase. Um, yeah, it's, it's really crazy to think about. Oh, yeah. Parents really do... <laughs> model a lot of patients in those grocery store checkout lines. Yeah. Yeah. It's against you in there. Yeah. Yeah. So you've shared a lot of really neat initiatives for the Richmond area moving forward. And I would love to hear like, what is your hope moving forward for the Richmond area? And you can talk big picture. You can talk, you know, you know, shorter term, but what's, what's the goal here? Um, I'll probably give you a different answer if, I, if you ask me this in you know six or eight months because we're actually doing some strategic planning as an organization right now. We're awesome. in sort of a we can have a follow up. Phase. We can have a follow up. Um, right, exactly. Um, to sort of help understand our own strengths and weaknesses as an organization. What are the external opportunities and threats you know out there to help guide sort of key decisions for us as an organization moving forward? But I mean, I think ultimately what we want to see in our community is this kind of equitable fabric of. Um, sort of universal access to healthy food, low risk um, opportunities to connect with these items, sort of opportunity rich food environments um, to use, you know, some jargon, really Mm -hmm. meaningful opportunities for people to connect with food, whether it's from the growing to the eating and for people to see themselves reflected in all parts of that process, right? Which means a, for an organization like Shalom Farms to better reflect the communities we work in and be better grounded and based in those communities. But also it means that there's this patchwork of organizations, large and small, mm-hmm. that are all part of creating these opportunities for experiences and access points a- across our um, our community. So I mean, I think that's what we sort of see is like a 15-year vision of what can we do to partner, to support, um, to expand, to make sure no matter where you are in the city and no matter where you are on this sort of ladder of a crisis to thriving, whether you're needing to shop at a food pantry, whether you have enough resources to buy a subsidized product, or whether mm-hmm. you can shop at a full service grocery store, that you've got good opportunities to access those things, good experiences to connect you with that food, and that you see yourself reflected in, in all parts of that experience. Awesome. Well, I think that's a really good segue into my next question, which is how can we get involved? How can your listeners here today get involved? Sure. I mean, the most you know obvious, um, perhaps, and uh, uh, cop out answer for me is donations. You know, we're a nonprofit, and mm-hmm. um, our business model is different than a lot of farm nonprofits. You know, we're we're based on ninety percent contributed income. We we sell a very very tiny amount of our produce for for profit, um, and so yeah, that makes us more dependent than your average nonprofit on. Um, support from individuals and churches. And we've been grateful for the many ways, including financial support that second has supported us over the years. So thank mm-hmm. you all for that continued. Partnership. Absolutely. absolutely. Um, and you all have also supported us in the, the sort of the second space as well, in terms of volunteering, 
It looks a little bit different with COVID this year, but as your experience recently has proven, we still do need and use volunteers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's this third, third space that we're exploring more formally with our um, strategic planning process now, which is kind of the advocacy piece. Like what can we do as an organization to um, help build a better food system outside of the work that we're doing ourselves, whether that's local policy, statewide or federal policy, or, or just getting folks of power and privilege to participate in the food system in a way that's going to make it more equitable mm-hmm. and also make it more sustainable, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, I think there's ways in which uh, we all can sort of think about how we vote with our dollars and our forks um, um, and think about the ways in which we have opportunities to create a more just system um, mm-hmm. if we're thinking about the apartheid perspective that, that go beyond just access to food. Mm-hmm. Well, great. That was really helpful. And it sounds like there's a lot of options for people to choose from. They can show up to the farm on Saturday mornings. They can, you know, perhaps make a generous financial contribution or even just reach out to you and see what needs to be done on a greater scale. You also have board memberships, I'm sure, that rotate um, every so often as well. So awesome. we do, and we're, we're grateful actually, um, our programs chair and our member of our board, Sharon is a member of your church. Yeah, Sharon. She's great. She's great. She's best. Yeah. Well, is there anything else you want to share, um, before we sign off for now? No, we're just really grateful to have, I think partners like you all who are willing to find kind of multifaceted ways to partner. I mean, bringing me on this podcast is a great example of that. Mm-hmm. Wanting to volunteer, your financial support, having members who say, how can I go further and how can I really bring my own sort of professional expertise um, mm-hmm. to bear in sort of a pro bono way you know, on the board. And so I feel like we, it means a lot to us that there are folks who, who get to see us for who we are from all certain aspects and say, yeah, I, I believe in this organization and I want to do more than just, you know, ignorantly sign a check and hope that it is um, uh, being <laughs> used well, that they believe we are going to use it well and they want to yeah. help us use it well. Yeah. Excellent. Well, well said, Dominic. Well said. And, you know, the feeling is very much mutual. We uh, have so enjoyed this partnership with you and look forward to witnessing that strategic planning that you are formulating now. Uh, we we look forward to witnessing that come to life soon. So, um, you know, keep us posted, stay in touch. And uh, thank you so much for your time today coming on and sharing such valuable information with me. So I look forward to, you know, perhaps doing it again sometime. We'll do a part two, uh, you know, after eight months or so. <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. Well, I'm really grateful for the opportunity and the time. So thank you all so much. Awesome. Well, thank you, Dominic. You have a good one. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Second Serving. This podcast is produced by Bo Jacob and myself. We hope that you will join us next time. But until then, keep listening, keep growing, and never stop learning. Peace, friends.